All right, come on in, everybody. We'll go ahead and get started. And those of you that are in here, find a seat. I'll see if I can't get other people to come in here. Alright everybody, welcome to our class that starts at 11.18 sharp every, uh, <clears throat> and requires people yelling and turning lights off and all pushing and all kinds of things. So thanks to the, the Barkers for getting that done. I look forward to heaven. I think about what uh, the Bible says about heaven. There'll be no more sickness, no more death. Nobody late for second hour anymore. <laughs> be a great thing. We won't need second hour, actually, but still. Guy can dream. Now, welcome, everyone, to our fifth of sixth sessions in Making Peace, as you see on the screen. And there are notes for this, and that's what Carl has here. And many of you have had a set of notes. You've been bringing them back each week because we gave the entire set to you the first week. But if you're new or you forgot yours or any of that, we have some. So Carl has some over here, if you need, get his attention. Daniel has some. Here, anybody over here need a set? And we're going to be on page 21, page 21 of your notes today. Let me make some announcements for things that are coming up. Next week, uh, I uh, will be here, but I will have been out of town all week, and uh, it's fortuitous that we have a guest speaker coming anyway. One of our missionaries, Jeremy Roy, and his wife Amy are going to be here. So Jeremy is going to be uh, handling both hours for us, our worship hour and this hour next Sunday. Uh, and then uh, the two weeks from today, we'll have our final session in this uh, course, Making Peace. And three weeks from today, we will start elective classes during this hour. 
And those elective classes, there are four of them, and for space reasons and also to assign small groups uh, for some of them, we need to know who's going to be in them. Uh, so we need you to register. Those are at our website. I think we have a graphic for that, the four classes, uh, but cbctrenton.com. And if you go to cbctrenton.com, you'll see the graphic, that one. And if you click on that, then you can register for one of those four classes. But we're asking you to do that. We're down to three weeks now, and we really do need to know who's going to be in what class for the reasons that I gave. Uh, two weeks from tomorrow, one week from tomorrow, one week from tomorrow is uh, Memorial Day. And we have our Memorial Day picnic, as we do each year here uh, in the back of our, our building. And we invite you all to come at noon that day, as you see. And it's free. We provide, the, the church provides the uh, main dish. We ask everybody to bring a side dish. And then if your name ends in A through L, a dessert. And if it ends in M through Z, to bring a, uh, a two-liter beverage with you for that. So we look forward to that. It's always a, a good time. Uh, be with us. On June the 19th, that is Father's Day. And on Father's Day, we have what we call parent dedication. And for parent dedication, there are some resolutions that the parents who participate in that are agreeing to. That these are the things by God's grace we're going to try to do with our children as we raise them for Him. So I need to send those to the folks who are participating in parent dedication, and we'll have a, a prayer of dedication for those parents. And we encourage anybody who has children to do this, no matter the age of your children, and even if you have participated in parent dedication in the past. So you don't have to be, uh, have a newborn this past year, but certainly if you've had a newborn, you want, you'll want to do that. But if you have children, then participate uh, because you need all the accountability and the prayer you can get in order to raise a child as the Lord desires in the day in which we live. So we need to know, uh, in order to get those resolutions to you, see the email address there, info at cbctrenton.com. So send to that, and we'll get those to you, and we'll go from there. Our family camp goes from Sunday the 26th through Thursday the 30th of June. Uh, we need you to register for that. There's limited space for it, so please do so at our website. One final announcement, and that is on July the 24th. July the 24th, uh, our church has been invited to have a fellowship time that evening. It's a Sunday, Sunday, July the 24th at Intercity Baptist in Allen Park. And they have asked us to come and to have a time of fellowship with them. And I'll be preaching that at their evening service, and I'll be preaching one of my uh, sermons from the book of Acts, so you guys will have already heard it. But the great news is none of you have remembered it anyway, so, so it'll be like the first time you ever heard it. And, but just mark that, it's July the 24th, and uh, they are inviting our entire church to come, and I encourage any of you who can to, uh, to do that. It should be a, a good time of fellowship with our sister church in Allen Park. All right, page 21, and the power for peacemaking. And you see at the top there, we ask, if my own heart is a veritable idle factory, then how can I find the humility and grace to desire and initiate peace? Because we have seen that that is the malady with which we all suffer spiritually. And that is our hearts can create idols out of anything or anyone. And we do that on a regular basis. And those idols, in turn, rule our hearts. And what is in our hearts, biblically, is what determines how we speak and how we behave. 
So our, our thinking determines what we, what we say and how we say it. And what we think and what we say will eventually result in actions of one sort or another, but all of those underlying them, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, all have desires. And all of those desires can become idolatrous. We saw that last week. If you haven't been with us for that, we have those recorded. You can listen to them on, on our website. But that being the case, if that's the situation with you and with me, that our hearts are these idol factories, and that these idols that we have can, in fact, be good things for peace and quiet when I come home from work. That's all I want is just some peace and quiet. And yet, it's not the way I expected it, and so I explode or I sulk or I fail to be a servant to my wife and my children uh, in whatever ways. That's because that good thing, nothing wrong with wanting peace and quiet, has become an, an ultimate thing for me. It has become more important to me in that moment than being a servant of God to my wife and my children in that moment. So idols are very insidious, they are very subtle, they are very tricky, and they are ubiquitous, and you've got them and I've got them, and we create new ones all the time. So if that's all true, then it's a legitimate question to ask, if my heart is this veritable idol factory, then how can I find the humility and the grace to desire and initiate peace? I mean, if I'm really that bad down to the core then how am I ever going to get a turnaround on this? And the answer is you need a new heart. The bad news is our hearts are, according to Jeremiah 17, 9, deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Our condition is beyond cure, notice, but if left to ourselves. That's the bad news. The good news is the gospel, literally, the word means good news, is that God has taken initiative to reconcile us to himself and to empower us to be reconciled to others. So what you cannot do on your own, what I cannot do on my own, God empowers us to do. So there's a two-step then process to this. The first one is each of us needs a changed heart. We need to have an initial change of heart from God doing an, a spiritual operation on us so that we now have, as I talked about in the first hour, a changed direction. I have new desires, new allegiances, and new priorities. But that's something that God does. That's something that God does that we cannot do. And it's mandatory if you and if I, if we are going to have peace in our relationships. And here's why. Because you can't give what you don't have. So how am I going to do this? You've got to have an, an inside job done on you so that now you have the ability that you previously did not have. Not only the ability you didn't have before, but the desire that you did not have before. All of that is changed when you come to Christ. Now, you can't give what you don't have, so you need this change of heart. But also, you need it because, as I have pointed out in this series, you might not be able to cause the other person to change that you have the conflict with. You can't control whether the other person cooperates. So you may be now stuck in a situation where you want to do the right thing, but this other person does not. Now what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And so you need this new heart in order to be able to handle that, the fact that you can't change the other person. I need to be changed from the inside, hear this now, so that it's okay if the other person doesn't change. 
If the other person doesn't change, I can still do what God has called me to do. Me obeying God is not dependent on somebody else obeying God. Never has been, never will. And as a matter of fact, the people in your life that are not obeying God and are causing you difficulty are the means by which God desires to grow you into a better servant of His. So instead of seeing it as an obstacle that has to be overcome, it's an opportunity now for me to grow in Christ-likeness. He had all kinds of opposition, did he not? And yet, none of that controlled what he did. So no one else should be controlling what you do in terms of obeying God. Well, if the other person doesn't want to reconcile, all right, fine, I'll buy what you say about that shouldn't control me and I still need to, you know, I still need to serve God and my serving God is not dependent on what somebody else does. But what about me forgiving that person? Now, our final lesson two weeks from today, the final several pages of the notes you have, uh, cover confession and, and forgiveness. So I'll talk about this more in, in two weeks. But sometimes people say, so if they don't want to reconcile, and if, let's say, they have wronged me and they're not willing to, to see that and own that and ask forgiveness for that, if they're not willing to ask forgiveness for that, then I just need, I just need to forgive them anyway. And I don't say it that way, personally. I try to be careful with the biblical terminology and forgiveness is something that is sought and granted. It's my understanding biblically. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says, Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, if you've come to Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven. But there was a point in time where you asked for that. True? And that's the way reconciliation goes. That you have two parties that are aggrieved against each other, and one may be at fault or both may be at fault, but whoever is at fault needs to, if they're a Christian, seek forgiveness, and the other party needs to be readily willing to, to grant that. But if the other party doesn't own it and doesn't ask forgiveness, then we can't have reconciliation as the Bible describes it. And so I don't say personally that I've forgiven somebody who hasn't asked for it. You say, well, what do you do? You're just hostile with the person for the rest of your life? No, I'm not saying that either. You've got to deal with it. <laughs> but it's just not, the biblical terminology is, is not forgiveness. You're not forgiving that other person who doesn't want to participate. Here's what you're doing. You're removing their control from the relationship. That's what you've got to do. You need to try to see reconciliation happen. Of course, as a Christian. But you can't control whether that happens. You can't control whether the other person participates, is willing. If they're not willing, you're not forgiving, but you're also making sure you're removing their control from the relationship. I'm not in the relationship because you control me in some way. Whose control, do you, whose control is a Christian supposed to be under? The, the control of the Holy Spirit, true? 
And, and the Bible speaks of that, that we are to be controlled, self-controlled in, control, in fact, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we're not controlled by other people. We're not in symbiotic relationships. We're not in codependent relationships such that my life depends on what you, what you do. And my well-being depends on, on what you do spiritually. So you, I recommend you don't use the forgive terminology, but rather it is true, and we, I'm sure we all agree, that there's something that I've got to do in order to deal with the fact that this person won't participate. I recommend that you look at it this way. You're removing control from your heart and your life. And you won't be able to do that. I mean, that's hard to do no matter what, especially if it's somebody you live, in this, live with, if it's a spouse, somebody you've had a very long-term relationship with, somebody in your church that you have loved and you thought they loved you, and then there's a split and, there's, and you just can't believe it and you're devastated by that. It's very hard to do. And I will tell you it's impossible to do unless you have this first step here. The gospel gives us peace with God. Unless you've got peace with God, you do not have the resources then, the spiritual resources to have that control of this other party removed from your heart and life. So the first step is you've got to make sure that you have a relationship with God, that you have peace with God. And so let's rehearse that. For many of you, this will be a rehearsal, but I hope a valuable one. The gospel gives us peace with God. And here's a long definition of the gospel. The good news that the King has come, as promised in the Holy Scriptures, in the person and loving work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Prince of Peace, Savior of the world, Lord of all, who died on the cross for our sins and has resurrected from the dead, sending forth His Spirit and Word to give us life through a new heart and spirit, forgiving all who will believe in Him, and crediting to us His perfect righteousness, reconciling and uniting us to the Father and adopting us as dearly loved children and giving to us the supreme gift of knowing and enjoying God in Christ forever. All right, repeat that back to me. It's a long, very comprehensive uh, statement of the gospel, but the next few pages go through each of the components of that, and I'd like to do that uh, together. And so the first one of those, the gospel is the good news that the King has come, as promised in the Holy Scripture, in the person and loving work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Prince of Peace, Savior of the world, Lord of all. And you have all of these passages that deal with aspects of what's said in that, in that sentence. Acts chapter 10, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And if you look down to third from the bottom, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah is in the first part of your Bible. This is written 700 years before Christ came, before the Messiah came. So it's a prediction, a description of the one who will come in the book of Isaiah. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of, the Prince of Peace. So you see there that the message of Christ is said to be the good news of peace through Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 10, and he's predicted to be the one who will be known as the Prince of Peace. And this peace that he has, that he brings, and he affects, is an extensive peace. 
That is, it's yes, it allows for peace between people, but it also allows, most importantly, peace between us and, and God, and He's going to bring in a time of peace in the future where the entire world will be ruled by peace because it will be ruled by this Prince of Peace and only people who have been changed by Him and thus want that peace. And then you have 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day. And some of you are familiar with that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. It's called the resurrection chapter. The entire 58 verses deal with the issue of the resurrection. And it goes on right after that to talk about Christ having been seen alive after He was raised. Now, I bring that up for this reason. There are two things in that passage about Him having died according to the Scriptures, been buried, raised according to the Scriptures, and then it goes on to say He was seen. Now, a lot of times we take that and we say, okay, you've got death, you've got burial, you've got resurrection. And that's the gospel. I mean, that's a, that's a good summary of the gospel. But in that passage, what Paul, who wrote it, is doing is he's saying that, look, you have these absolutely necessary components of death and, and resurrection. His death on the cross and his resurrection are absolutely necessary for our relationship with God. Those two things. And then the other two things, that he was buried and he was seen, are evidence of those two. So the two things that are necessary is that he died and he was raised. And you know he died because he was buried. And you know he was raised because he was seen, because of the witnesses. And so it's really those, those two things, his death and his resurrection, and we are going to see those in the pages to come and how those each, his death and his resurrection, are related to our, our salvation. And then you have John chapter 12. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So they took palm branches. Therefore, we call that, we call the, the week before Easter Palm Sunday because that's what happened a week before Jesus was crucified. He goes into Jerusalem and they're hailing him as the king. And John in your New Testament records that for us. But that's quoting a prediction going back to the first part of your Bible in the book, of, the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah. And he he comes in the name of the Lord. And if you look at the second from the bottom verse, 1 John says this: We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. And so he comes in the name of the Lord. He was sent by, by the Father. And that sending by the Father, I just want you to consider, friends, as we think about the beauty of the gospel, the good news message, that the determination of the Father to send the Son and the Son voluntarily being willing to do that on our behalf, the Bible teaches that that goes back to eternity past. Before God made the world, before He made you, before He made me, before He made any of it. He had determined what He was going to do with it. And He was going to create this world, and it was going to have people, and He knows everything that's going to happen, past, present, and future. And He knew these people were going to rebel, and He had a solution for that rebellion. And the reason He had all of that in place was for His own glory, to show the, the character qualities 
of His mercy that can only be seen against the backdrop of sin and rebellion. And so God was willing to allow that in order for his, the full orbed glory that is His to be seen by His world. And He made that agreement with God the Son, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches in eternity past. He predestined to do that. So Jesus would say things like, all that the Father has given to me will come to me. I encourage you to write down Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Titus 1, 2. And then 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. And if you compare those as I've done for you in sermons in the past, and did so just a couple of weeks ago, in fact, it talks about a promise that was, the one passage talks about a promise that was made, and I'm quoting now, before the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time. And then that raises the question, well, before the beginning of time, who's God making any promises to? I mean, who's around to make promises to? And there's only three persons around, one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the other passage tells you that very thing, uses the exact same phrase in English and in Greek, before the beginning of time, he says that we were promised in Christ Jesus. God the Father promised a people of His very own to God the Son. And God the Son came to earth to secure their salvation. If you know Jesus Christ, then you're, you're part of that. So where are you going to find your fulfillment? Where you find your meaning? You should be finding it in that. God has had a plan for you for eternity past, if you belong to Jesus, all the way into eternity, eternity future. And so the gospel gives us peace with God, and it begins with this, prince of, this one who is the Prince of Peace being sent by God. Page 22. And having been sent, He died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected from the dead. So remember the two things that I said are the key components, that He died and He was raised. And here they are. Those are the things He did then when He came. So having died on the cross, cross here's what He did. He had to die on the cross if we were going to have a relationship with God because a payment had to be made for our sin. God is absolutely holy. God is absolutely just. Justice must be done, must be meted out whenever wrongdoing is done. Otherwise, God is unjust. God cannot. He is constitutionally incapable of going, ah, let's just forget about it. Really. You know, when we used to play, we used to play hide-and-seek, and then there was, right, was it hide-and-seek where you go, ollie, ollie, whatever it is? That's how old I am. I can't remember, okay? But the idea was, okay, everybody's safe now. You can come out from hiding, right? So we, we kind of have this idea that that's what God can do. God can just kind of go and say, hey, let's let bygones be bygones. But I said God is constitutionally incapable of doing that. That His nature is such that. His holiness, His justice is such that not only He doesn't do it, He can't do it. And you're going, 
You're telling me there's something God can't do? Yeah. Yeah, God cannot, for, God cannot do anything contrary to his nature. And God only does those things that are consistent with his nature. And that's a great thing for us, because otherwise, it would be at least theoretically possible that God could lie. But we can say, and the Bible does say unequivocally, God cannot lie. Now, he just doesn't lie, he can't. He couldn't lie if he wanted to. So you guys ever heard that thing where people say, hey, can God make a rock too heavy for him to carry? And so, you know, they've got you because you believe God can do anything. And so if you say, well, no, God can't make a rock too heavy, well, then you're saying there's something God can't do. But I'm just willing to admit that God only does things that are consistent with his character. And so, no, he could not make a rock too heavy for him to carry because God doesn't do dumb stuff. That's my answer, okay? So he can't lie, and he can't just say it's all okay. It's got to be paid for. Who's going to pay for it? You? Me? How are we going to pay for it? In our imperfection, in our sin. If it's going to be paid for in full, within time, in an act, it's going to have to be by a perfect sacrifice, a perfect payment. And that's going to have to come from God Himself. And so God the Son comes as man, does for us what we cannot do, and is able and willing and does pay the price for our sin, past, present, and future. He died on the cross for our sins. But He was, resu- and he was resurrected. Now notice Romans 4.25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So you've got two things going on there. He dies for your sin... His blood covers your sin, past, present, and future, and here's what that does. That makes you now neutral. You're just back to zero. You've got these penalties. The penalties are wiped out, but now you're just neutral. But in order to go to heaven, guess what you've got to be? Not neutral. You've got to be perfect. Well, now I'm in a world of hurt. Where am I going to get this perfection from? And the perfection comes from the perfect Not the death now, the perfect life that preceded the death. Jesus lived a perfect life of righteousness. And that's why the Father was pleased to raise Him from the dead. It was the Father declaring that His entire life, God the Son's entire life on earth, was a life of obedience approved by the Father and accepted by the Father. And so He was raised, notice, for our justification. Because he was approved by God, God the Father, as perfectly righteous in everything he did in his life, now you and I can be justified. And here's what that word justified means, to be declared righteous. I have been declared righteous before God, even though I'm not, on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. So he dies and pays for my sin, but now I have positive righteousness, in fact, perfect righteousness, by which I can go to heaven. And he was raised for that justification. All right, he did all of that, but it needs to be applied to you and to me personally. See, sending forth his spirit and word to give us life through a new heart and spirit. The agents 
that apply the work of Jesus Christ to an individual are the Holy Spirit moving on the heart of that person as the message of the gospel is given. So we hear the gospel or we read it in Scripture, we somehow come across the good news message of who Jesus is and what He did, and God the Holy Spirit moves on our hearts to show us our need for that. And then we are willing to say, Lord, I ask you, forgive me. I give you my life. Give me the payment that Jesus made. Give me the righteousness that Jesus achieved. And as a result of that, D, you get, you ask, you shall receive, forgiving all who will believe. So that's the sin part, you're forgiven. And crediting to us His perfect righteousness. He counts to me His perfect righteousness. So some of you are familiar with the hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. There's a line in there that says this, be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. And you see, you need the double cure. The double cure is sin forgiven, covered, blood sprinkled on the mercy seat, to use biblical language, to satisfy the wrath of God against our sin. You need the double cure, saved from wrath, but you also need to be made pure. And we get that in the righteous life of Jesus. So you can say, as we often say, Christ died for me, but you can and should also say, and Christ lived for me. Jesus lived and died for us, and both of those are given to us when we come to Him. And the result of all of that, E, is reconciling and uniting us to the Father and adopting us as dearly loved children. The writer of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews in your New Testament, says that those of us who are in Christ have, and have come into the family of God by the work of Christ, been adopted into His family, have God as our Father and Christ as our brother. I mean, just think about that. And then Ephesians chapter 1 says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. So what Jesus is heir to, his brothers and sisters are heir to. If you've been adopted into the family of God, you cannot be disinherited. You cannot be disinherited. And in order to disinherit you, God would have to disinherit Christ. Because we're united with Christ, the Bible teaches. We are brothers and we are co-heirs with Him. That's how secure our position in Christ is. Top of page 23. And giving us the supreme gift of knowing and enjoying God in Christ forever. So now and in the future... All right, so see, that's why you have that. Now you can remove the control of another person from your life because I've got what I need in Jesus. But part of the reason we have these other things controlling us is because we don't have a robust understanding of what Jesus has done for us and who we are in Him. 
and what we have in him. And so we look for things in other people and other circumstances that we have in him. Now, I urge you, we're going to pray in 10 minutes when we wrap up. You thought, oh, I thought we were done. No, 10 minutes, okay? <laughs> and we'll pray, and you'll have opportunity to receive the forgiveness that Jesus gives and ask him for the life that Jesus lived to be applied to you. All of us have to have that. Now, if you have that, now you can deal with it. Now you can deal with the relationship. You don't have to have this relationship. This relationship is not your life. It doesn't have to be. It's hard. It's difficult. I get all that. It's traumatic, depending on how deep the relationship was. I get all of that. But you don't have to have it because you've got Jesus. And now you can react appropriately and better. And that's the middle of first third of page 23. The gospel enables us not only to have peace with God, but because we have peace with God, to have peace with others. I want to talk about that, but I've got another sheet to give you guys. It's actually two pages, one of them front and back, and Carl has some here, and, and Daniel's got some, so, and Larry. So you guys are just going to pass these out. And what these are that the guys are passing out, thank you guys, are, these are uh, questionnaires to help you identify your particular idols. And then next week, I want you to fill them out, and next week, I want you all to stand up and tell us what your idol is. I'm kidding. <laughs> what we'll do next week is I'll just point a few people out, and I'll tell you what your idol is, okay? How's that? I'm going to be here. Somebody said I won't be here. Wishful thinking. I'll be here next week. I'm going out of town, but I'll be here Sunday, okay? So, no, in all seriousness, I, I want you to have this. This is from a marriage series that we did years ago, so you'll see at the top it says Marriage Matters. But it is a questionnaire that helps you identify your typical idols because we're all different and we all are controlled in different ways by different heart idols. And so I encourage you to fill that out and identify. It's, it's very helpful and identify that and then you can do the things we're talking about the rest of our few minutes today and next week, okay? All right, thank you guys for passing those out. Those are for you to take home with you. And they're, it's probably a mistake to give them out now. Don't read them now. I've got eight minutes left, okay? <laughs> so the gospel enables us to have peace with others. Having given us peace with God, you see on page 23, Jesus enables us to mirror His peace to others by inspiring us to love, worship, glorify, obey, and serve God with all our hearts. So if you're a child of God now, you are different. You've been changed. You've been changed from the inside out now. And so your values, your allegiances, your priorities are different, as I say. So you're inspired to, to do this. You want to do this. You have the desire to do this. But this side of heaven you're still going to have idols, your characteristic idols pop up. You're still going to have idols that rule your heart. You're going to make new ones this side of heaven. You're not there yet when you, get, when you come to Jesus. He started his reclamation project on you. And it ends when you die. So, you know, you want to be perfect. You want everything to be perfect. I got bad news for you. You got to die. But he starts that process now, and month to month, year to year, 
we put our idols away, we identify those idols. But it's a, but it's a continual thing that we do that we identify those idols and we confess that we have them and we repent of them and we replace them with something else, something better. Now hear this, when we go through that cycle, when we go through what John Calvin called the Christian life as the race of repentance, that's what he called it. It's just regularly doing this, repenting regularly, saying, Lord, I see this in my heart. Forgive me. I repent of it and I replace it with what you say in your word. I put off and I put on. When we do that, now hear this, you're not being re-saved. You're being renewed. <laughs> you're not being re-saved, but, but you're being renewed. You're being renewed in the way you think. That's what the Bible says, that we are renewed in the way we think. That we're transformed, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, by the renewing of our minds. And that's what then this helps you to do, uniting us, bottom of page 23, in spirit and purpose with other believers in His body, the church. So presumably, the people that are in the church, the people that are around you here, if you're members of Christ's church, you have said, I belong to Him, He belongs to me, and He has made a change in me, and so we have the same desires, and we're united in that, and therefore it is always, should always be possible for there to be reconciliation between brothers and sisters in Christ. But those idols that you identify, they will be the things that keep you from doing it or keep the other party from doing it. But if we, if we both are, if we both belong to Christ, then we have the ability, the God-given ability to do this. Page 24, empowering us to lovingly restore and forgive others even our enemies, enabling us, D, to put off sinful ways and be renewed in His likeness. And then lastly on page 25, and making us ambassadors of His life-giving, reconciling power. So it starts with the gospel. It starts with justification. It starts with your sins being forgiven, the Holy Spirit being given to you, and doing His work from the inside out in you so that you desire what Jesus desires. If the other party doesn't desire what Jesus desires, then you can release their control of your life because Jesus controls your life. So if you do that, you are able to do all of the things that we said on these last three pages. And whether the other party does them or not, you can live for Jesus and please Him and obey Him in all that He requires you to do. But it all starts with coming to Jesus. So we're going to pray. And as we pray, I invite you to come to Jesus. We've tried to explain pretty exhaustively what Jesus has done. God has come to earth to do for you what you could not do for yourself. He lived the life that you were supposed to live. He died the death that you deserve. And you receive that from Him. It's yours for the asking. Free. You don't do anything to earn it. You ask for it. Lord, I need this. I ask you to apply the death of Jesus Christ to me, His forgiveness. And I ask you to apply the life, the righteousness of Jesus to me. And then, Lord, I give you my life. 
in thanks. I want to grow in you. I want to learn what it means to, to serve you in my relationships, in every aspect of my life. And he empowers you. He gives you his Holy Spirit, empowering you to do those very things. Let's bow together then. Our Father, we do thank you for this time to be able to rehearse the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came willingly at the will of the Father to do what was necessary to purchase a people of his very own by his blood. And that blood was an acceptable sacrifice to God the Father because it was preceded by the perfect life of God the Son. And so, Lord, in, in you then, in Jesus Christ, we have all that we need for the forgiveness of all of our sins and the perfect righteousness we must have in order to come into your presence. We thank you profoundly for that. And because we are profoundly thankful, Lord, we want to live for you. We desire to please you with our lives. We desire to show the difference that you have made in our lives in every aspect of those lives, including our relationships, including the difficult relationships. Because you have initiated peace with those who were your enemies while we were still sinners you died for us the bible says so we were apart from you and yet you initiated peace with us and now you call us to initiate peace with others and you empower us to do it and so i pray for my brothers and sisters as i pray for myself help me to be ever ready to do that no matter the adversary no matter the issue, be willing to reconcile. And Lord, for those who are in relationships that cannot, at least for now, be reconciled because the other party will not participate, then we ask you, Lord, to be even bigger to us, even greater to us in our, our hearts and our minds so that we can release control that another person may have over us and we can serve you freely and joyfully. Help us to practice that this afternoon, this week. Lord, I pray for any who came into this room that did not know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that in this sacred moment, you are drawing them to yourself. And for all of this, we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.